I'll be reading this morning Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 14. First Corinthians 10, 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. You judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. Look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices shares in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that things which the, which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than He, are we? All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the marketplace, in the meat market, without asking questions for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you wish to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience' sake. But if anyone should say to you, This is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience' sake. I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many that they may be saved. I'll pray. Heavenly Father, again, your word, Lord, is, is such a gift to us. Thank you for just the ministry of your spirit, simply in reading it, God. We, we see you drawing us to yourself and, and, and pushing aside the, the darkness and confusion and bringing us to light and, and to all that is good and true. And I pray, God, that as we look at your word together, that we would just be under your Spirit's ministry to us, to teach us, to instruct us, God, to correct, to reprove, whatever it is that we need, as you only know, God, that we would be just yielded to your Spirit's ministry. In Christ's name, amen. May be seated. Just want to briefly just follow up with Keaton's um, um, announcement about the matching grant there that, that Columbia International University is offering. Um, if you want to give and help Keaton out, I think that what we've done is if you can just write a check to Bernie Bible Church and put on the memo line um, for CIU or, or uh, that would probably be best for CIU Scholarship Fund and the church will make sure that it gets to Keaton um, and that would be the, be the simplest way to handle that. Well, we've been looking at the book of 1 Corinthians, and, and these last three chapters, 8, 9, and 10, um, about Christian liberty. And, and I have to tell you, I, I've taught um, 1 Corinthians for many years now at His Hill, 
And it's, there's, and I, it's hard for me to describe the difference between teaching and preaching, but there's a difference. And I get a lot out of teaching it, and I get a lot out of preaching it. Um, but this has been, um, has opened my eyes this time going through 1 Corinthians like never before, of how this is really a book that is, is telling us, showing us what it looks like to live the crucified life. And if I, I've been thinking, if I were to ever write a book on the crucified life, it would be a commentary on 1 Corinthians. Um, because Paul, it seems to me, is just going through so many different aspects of life and showing, bringing us back to, the, to Jesus Christ and, and His crucifixion. Remember back in the early part of the book, Paul writes and he says, We preach Christ and Christ crucified. And then in chapter 9, what we were looking at a couple Sundays ago, he says that I, that I do all things for the sake of the gospel, 923, that I might become a fellow partaker of it. So he didn't just preach the message that Christ died for our sins, but he wanted to participate, to partake, to partake of that very message, that his life would be a visible demonstration of Christ who gave himself for us. So you can't live a self-focused life and be living out the gospel of Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. We're all at a different place in, in Christ working in us, his death and resurrection. But we are not going to know the resurrection power of Christ by skipping over the, the death, the crucifixion of Christ. It is only in the death of Christ that we will know His resurrection power. I received Christ. I'm just going to share a little bit of my testimony and, and, and before getting into the text here. I received Jesus when I was 10 years old, just before my 11th birthday. And like many of you, what drew me to, to that place of recognizing um, that Jesus was my Savior was just hearing a very simple presentation, and it was not even a good presentation, but the Lord Jesus worked it into my heart nonetheless, that Christ died for me because He loved me. And I knew that He also died for my sins, and I knew He rose again from the dead, but what really as a 10-year-old drew me to place my faith in Jesus was the, was the power of understanding for the first time that Jesus loves me. And, and I just alone in my bedroom, just said, Jesus, I want you to love me. And he says, I do, and I will. And I truly believe at that moment I became a child of God. But it wasn't until I was 15 that I came to the place, I said, it wasn't until, I mean, I'm thankful it happened five years later and didn't, you know, at the time it seemed like a long time, but it, looking back, I'm glad it happened at 15. But at 15, after three difficult years of junior high, and it looked like high school was going to be just as hard, uh, I, I came to a place of just complete, absolute need for Jesus. And I was already saved. But I remember taking a long walk one night and, and, and crying out to God and saying, God, I cannot live this life. Only, I know that only you can. So either take me out of this life or start living it. And I can't explain to you, but, but the burdens were just gone. And I for the first time began to really understand the rest that was mine in Christ, that only Jesus can live this life. But then I was at 20, after being at His Hill for a year and then, and then had finished that and working, my older brother, Steve, who had had leukemia and was in remission, the leukemia came back, and he went through um, 
uh, several months of, of just real um, suffering because of the leukemia and the chemotherapy and, and all of that. And then when he was only 25 and I was 20, he passed away. And God really used that in my young life to show me that life is short and that it isn't my life. It's his life. I'd already known that he loved me, and I knew that only he could live this life. But now the Lord has brought me very powerfully uh, through the death of my brother into the realization that it's his life. It isn't mine. And, and I, and I for the, really, just because I'm now making decisions about college and what I'm going to do and, you know, and what am I going to do with my life. It's not my life. Life is too short for that. It's his life. And so in a new way, because of you know, just my, my vocational decisions all in front of me, in a very new way, um, a different way, uh, in terms of application, I, 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 I was at a place of just saying, God, you direct my steps, whatever that means. And if that means going to Bible college, which is the last thing I ever thought I would do, then I'll go to Bible college. Whatever it is, it isn't my life. It is just too short. And, and I thank the Lord for doing that. Well, that was more than 40 years ago. And, um, and I can tell you since then that it has been, and constantly is, as it is for every one of us, it is a life of learning what it means to appropriate the crucified Christ, and to live in his resurrection. But you can't live in his resurrection if you are not appropriating his crucified life. And, and so now, I mean, there's lots of different ways. Now I'm learning to just to die to my will in, in different ways because I'm finding as my will is expressing itself in ways that it didn't maybe before. And it's meaning having to die to many of those things. A very simple thing that happens is not about, maybe it is about will, um, and it pertains to just, you know, remembrance. I've always had a pretty good memory. And um, as I've told you, that's, you know, you know, if you've been around me much, that's beginning to go. And so Patsy and I have this ongoing conversation where she'll say, I'll say to her, I told you that. And she goes, no, you didn't. And I go, I know I did. And she'll say, I know you didn't. Well, one of us has to die. And it's usually her. And to her credit, and she'll just be quiet and say, okay. And I'm having to think this over. Did I really say that? Did I really say that? And it's not easy dying to yourself. But, it's, but how, and this, this is what 1 Corinthians is really about. It's about embracing the death of Christ dying to self, that he might live. I tell you, the older I get, the more miraculous I think John's unabashed statement, I must decrease, and he must increase. There's no other way to live. I must decrease, and he must increase. I happen to think that was probably in John's motto for life. And remember, now three chapters here in 1 Corinthians about my rights, my liberties, my freedom. See, this is, Christ, these are the, this is the Christian liberty section, 8, 9, and 10. And I think Paul, in just jumping into this, he hates it. 
because everything about it, my rights, my freedom, my liberty, is absolutely contradictory to the life of the crucified one. But nonetheless, it's true. We have rights, we have freedom, we have liberty. But Paul seems to be saying, and I don't think he's, I think he is, he just very clearly, powerfully, Paul is saying, I'm not going to argue against that. You have rights. You can eat that meat. You have freedom. You have liberty. You can associate. You can do these things. But then he comes to chapter 10, as we saw a couple weeks ago, and he says, but let me tell you this. You live focused on your rights and your liberties and your freedoms. You should be prepared to be put to death. Because if you're not going to live in the death of Christ, you may in fact die. It's death or death. You can choose to live in the crucified life of Christ, which is not a life of insisting on your rights and your liberties and your freedoms. Or you can choose to insist on your rights and your liberties and your freedoms, but beware. That is so contradictory to who Jesus is as to be blasphemous. And you should prepare to be put to death. And so... Five different illustrations he gives in the first part of chapter 10 about where Israel, who came out of Egypt and should have been living in the reality that they are now the Lord's people, were instead grumbling and complaining and insisting on what they thought were their rights, including meat. And they, five different occasions, were struck down. And he says, take heed. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. He couldn't have said it any more plain. If you live thinking life is about you, your rights, your freedoms, your privileges, you could die. So you can choose the death of Christ or you could put yourself in harm's way and be put to death physically by the Lord. And so then, finally, he's now getting to his, his wrapping it up, his summary statements, his conclusions, verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, therefore, based upon the fact of what you are risking, because a, a, the life focused on self is a blasphemous life, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, he's going to, actually speak to three different scenarios that the Corinthians were faced with. One is the scenario of going to the actual pagan worship festivals. Apparently they were something of a party atmosphere. And they, there was food, and there was music, and there was drinking, and there was dancing. It was a festive occasion. Many of your friends would have gone there. Probably, I would imagine, a slight aspect of it was maybe bowing down to an idol or maybe placing some flowers or some food at the foot of an idol. It would have been very easy, I can imagine, to have been part of the festival without ever walking up and approaching that idol and placing anything at its feet. Because this is a community affair. Lots and lots of people there. But make no mistake, it was about the idol. But you could go as a Christian and think to yourself, it's not about the idol for me. I know an idol is nothing. 
So that's the first scenario that Paul wants to deal with. Do you have any business going to those community, pagan, idolatrous festivals? The second scenario is what about you just go through the meat market and there's meat for sale and you have no idea whether or not that meat has been offered to an idol. Should you ask? Excuse me, should you ask? The third scenario is what if an unbeliever invites you to their home and then just before you eat, the unbeliever says, um, I should maybe tell you that this was meat sacrificed to an idol. What should you do? Should you eat? So those are the three situations that the church in Corinth was faced with on a regular basis. And with the first situation of those community pagan festivals centered on idol worship, Paul had a very simple answer. Don't go. Flee idolatry. I don't believe here in the context he's talking about you bowing down to an idol. That isn't a, a, a present problem for these Corinthians. It was a problem before they were saved, but now that they're saved, I don't see any hint in the text that these Corinthians were being tempted with actually bowing down to idols. The temptation is to participate in the festival, in the party atmosphere, the community thing that was going on around the worship of the idol. And Paul says, don't go. Flee idolatry. And then he gets into this, this explanation here from 15 through 22. To summarize, he's essentially saying that when you go to that service, you may not think that you're actually participating in anything spiritual that's going on. Because you recognize the idol is nothing. There is only one God. Paul's already spoken to that in these three chapters. You know that idolatry is nothing. You know that the idol is nothing. You know that there is only one God. But you can't go there and not, in a spiritual sense, be participating in the demonic that is happening. And then he uses communion as an example. And it's a great example. See, we know, we know that that little thimble of grape juice is not the actual blood of Jesus. We know that. We know that that little wafer of bread is not the actual body of Jesus. We know that. Just as the Corinthian Christians knew that that idol was not real. It was not an actual God. We know that that grape juice and that bread is not the actual blood of and body of Jesus. We know that. See, this is, the, this is the parallel Paul's drawing. And he says, yet, when we take communion, the Lord's Supper, we are, in a spiritual sense, participating in Christ himself. We are partaking of Christ. Now, he's not saying the grape juice and the bread are changed. Okay, this is not the transubstantiation of Catholicism. He is not saying that Christ is somehow wedded to it, the consubstantiation of Lutheranism. Paul talks about the symbolism. He says, even though it is symbolic, don't think the symbolism is not significant. And see, many times as, as Protestants, we think that this, you know, we can convey to our Lutheran friends or our Catholic friends that we, they get the idea that we think that the symbolism means really nothing. 
And Paul said nothing could be further from the truth. It is very significant. It is symbolic, but it is significant. We are partaking spiritually of Christ when we partake of communion. And he says, and the same thing is true of idolatry. When those people are worshiping those idols, you know it is not really a god. But there's another place in Scripture that says behind every idol is a demon. And those people are partaking of the demonic. They are sharers of what is demonic. We share of Christ when we take the communion. They share of demons when they bow down to those idols. And now, as you can see his application, you cannot, as a Christian, be both a sharer in demons and a sharer of Christ. It is one or the other. Pick which road you're going to walk down. And he says, if you're a sharer of Christ, you cannot be a sharer of the demonic as well. It must come to an end. So I've been searching for an application on this because, and, I, and again, this is where we, have, we, we see the wisdom of God because when God wrote the Word of God, He knew that it would not just be for people sitting in Bernie Bible Church in 2018, okay? And where we, are, we can go our whole life and never even see an idol, much less anybody bow down to it. But there are Christians all over this world today who are still living in the same circumstances that the Corinthian church was living in. Idolatry is a major part of the culture they live in. And they struggle with, can I go to the community event where there's going to be an idol and people are going to be worshiping that idol? Can I go to the event and be part of the community and not participate? And I believe Paul's saying, you will be participating. You will be sharing in the demonic. You cannot go. And that would have cost them. But it's the crucified life. Well, wouldn't have Jesus have gone? Come on. Jesus, which the scripture tells us, he was a friend of the sinners, tax gatherers, prostitutes. They all felt comfortable around Jesus. Amen. I see no place in the Gospels, though, to take that one step further, I see no place in the Gospels where Jesus went to a place that was inherently sinful. For example, he frequented prostitutes hung out with Jesus. In the context, a public context with all of his disciples, there was nothing private about that. There is no hint in the Gospels that Jesus ever went to the brothel to minister to the prostitutes. I don't see that happening. I can see today a Christian woman maybe saying God that feels, she feels called, but I don't see a Christian man saying my calling is to go to prostitutes. There is a line that has to be drawn. And there are times when we have to understand that, we, that, that to be involved in this is to actually be participating in it. To associate with this crosses a line. And I am becoming a participant, a partaker of what this is about. And even though I know at one level it means nothing, I shouldn't be so foolish as a Christian to think that there is not the spiritual world of the demonic. And there are things I have no business being involved in. 
If I were to talk to you about Ouija boards and horoscopes and things, you would say, yeah, I can see that. What that Ouija board? It's just a piece of cardboard with ink on it. And there's a little plastic triangle. Come on. It's just plastic and cardboard. It's much more than that. And you cannot, I think an application, but you cannot play with a Ouija board without partaking of the demonic. You cannot be indulging in what the horoscope says about your life without partaking in the demonic. Because it's the demons that are behind trying to tell us what the future is apart from the Word of God. And to get us to rely on fortune-telling rather than what God has revealed in His Word. Scripture is very clear on that. It is demonic. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and participate in the demonic. No one was more intent in seeing people saved than Paul was. And yet Paul said there are certain situations and certain activities that we cannot participate in because it makes us partakers of the demonic if we go there. And if you do that, verse 22, or do you provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than we are, we, are we? See, God is jealous. James says he is jealous for the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. And in God's jealousy for our hearts, for our spirits, if we start becoming partakers of the demonic, in God's jealousy for us, he'll do whatever it takes to bring us back to purity and to singularity of devotion to him. And if that means taking us home, he gets that jealous. We are not stronger. Isn't that an interesting question? We are not stronger than he, are we? Why would he throw that word stronger in there? Because of the stronger brother. Remember, these are the chapters on Christian liberty, and there's two kinds of Christian. There's the weak brother and the strong brother. And this is, an, he, this is a finger-in-the-chest question. See, Paul was one of the stronger, and he's been writing to strong Christians here. We aren't stronger than God, are we? Strong enough to exercise your rights, to enjoy your liberties, your freedoms. But that strength, that you can do what the weaker brother can't do, could cost you your life because you aren't stronger than God. And God could bring this to an end. He is that jealous for us. So the second scenario, all things, verse 23, are lawful, but not all, but not all things are profitable. That's an exact repetition of what he said back in chapter 6. So if you flip back over there just briefly, chapter 6, where Paul was talking about the, the use of the body. And he says in chapter 6, verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. But this is a different context here. And so his next statement, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And then he goes on to talking about sexual immorality. The body is for God, and God is for the body. The body is not for sexual immorality. And so then he's going to say at the end of the chapter, you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. I, so all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, 
but I will not be mastered by anything, including the sexual passions of the body. And now in chapter 10, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful. Instead of saying, I will not be mastered by anything, all things are lawful, but not all things edify. So the first statement was about self. I will not be mastered by anything because why? I've been set free by the, by the freedom that is mine in Jesus. But now he needs to come back and, 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 and pull back on that freedom. It is not an absolute freedom that gives me the right to do whatever I want. And so now in this context, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Be thinking about something other than your freedom. Think about others. The crucified life is not a self-consumed, self-oriented life. It thinks about others. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Now you're in the marketplace. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. In other words, where did this come from? Butcher, where'd you get your meat? You don't need to know. You don't need to know. Just eat the meat. I've said before, I don't like it when I, sometimes ignorance is bliss, right? Sometimes ignorance is bliss. I don't like it when I, have, when I find out what Target is doing with its money. Because now I have to do something about it. So just don't tell me. I'm happy to be blissful. Okay? So I can go shop at Target or shop at Home Depot, and I can just never give a thought about what they're doing with their profits. But you tell me they're the biggest Planned Parenthood you know, a, you know, funder in the country. Well, now I'm not going to go shop there anymore. Don't. There's a time when you just don't ask. Sometimes there's Christians out there that are crusading about looking up where every company is sending its profits and saying this and then making a list of what we're supposed to boycott. I'm thinking Paul would have said, stop it. Just stop it. Sometimes you can have too much information. Don't ask. And then your conscience is clear. But once you've asked and you've been told, then you, have, then you are responsibly, morally responsible to do something with the knowledge that you have. We're not supposed to leave this world. And, you're, and it's hard, to, would be hard to find a business that in some way is not spending the money in ways that you wouldn't agree with. And then he says this, eat anything that is sold in the market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all it contains. So God had to tell Peter with the sheet dropping down out of heaven three times, arise, kill, and eat. Well, what was he supposed to kill and eat? Snakes, lizards, frogs, shrimp, lobster. I like those. But they weren't kosher. And, and God said to Peter, stop thinking in terms of what's kosher. I've made it all, and it's good. Eat it. And it was a huge paradigm shift for, for Peter. 
but he made it. And after that, for most time, he messed up at least on one occasion. Paul rebuked him in Galatians. But for the most part, he would just go eat with Gentiles and never ask what was being put before him. Is this pork? Don't ask. I've heard of shrimp. Is that what a shrimp looks like? Don't ask. Just eat what's put before you without asking questions for conscience sake. Look over at 1 Timothy chapter 4. I don't think we should use this as a um, superstitious wand to wave over our food. Um, But it is pretty clear. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. So God has created these foods to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. That would mean Brussels sprouts in okra. It's good. God created it. Okay? I may not have a preference for it. And if you serve me boiled okra, I might tell you that I'm allergic to it. That would be a lie. But I, but, but not, but I, can't, I should not have a moral problem with eating boiled okra. It is to be received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. I was eating with the bush houses one time years ago in their home, and I scooped up this big serving and plopped it down on my plate. And Ellen said, well, Charlie, see, I didn't know that you liked eggplant. Well, I thought it was scalloped potatoes because it looked like that on the top. And so... I scooped it off my plate, and I put it right back in the dish. (laughs) And they still laugh about that. We were good enough friends I could get away with that. I have an allergy to eggplant. (laughs) It gets my gag reflex going. (laughs) But in all seriousness, see, see, why would Paul even bring this up? Well, part of it is he doesn't want us to be to be putting things on the gospel that are untrue of Christ. But there's even more practical application than that. Food is one of the most basic ways that we fellowship with each other. And you can get to the place in your so-called religiosity, that's the application here, you can be so religious and so hyper-spiritual that you can't even eat with your brothers and sisters anymore. And you are breaking fellowship with those for whom Christ died to make you one. See, that's the real issue. And I have to wonder today, and this is where I'm walking on a ledge that I probably shouldn't be walking on. In all seriousness, I know that there seem to be increasing food allergies. I have a longtime friend who who has been in a low, a long very, very ugly death process because he has been celiac his whole life and didn't know it. And by the time they found out, the damage that he's done to his, to his body is irreparable. And it has been an awful, awful, slow, agonizing death. 
and he is still not with the Lord. So I understand. I had multiple food allergies when I was a child. I was allergic to about everything. But we don't all have those allergies, so I'm not speaking to that. For some of us, it's just a matter of preference. We get students more and more every year, and every school faces this, where we're having to tell them now, come with a doctor's note that you can't eat like everybody else does. Well, most doctors will write the notes because they don't want to get sued. So more and more, a doctor's note doesn't even mean anything. And there is not a food allergy. It is simply a preference. And it is costing all those who are having to prepare the food and other people as well, because sometimes you can't, you're told you can't even be, be, have others be exposed to the food. And there is not an allergic reaction. It is just a preference. I think Paul would say, don't ask. If you don't have a gluten allergy, then don't ask if there's gluten in it. It's just your preference not to eat gluten. And it may be a valid preference. But if it's causing you to bring a hardship onto somebody else who's preparing the food or keeping you from going to their home because you might be served something that you prefer not to eat, then you are breaking fellowship and breaking the oneness that Jesus Christ died for us to secure. And how is that the crucified life? Your diet preferences should not be working against the body of Christ. Die to yourself. Some of us would never go to the mission field if we were to, because we couldn't live in another country with a, with a more impoverished, limited diet selection than what we would choose to live in in our rich country where we can have everything that we'd want. We couldn't go outside these borders. Try going to Mexico on a mission trip and saying, I'm not going to eat gluten. Seriously. How are you going to minister to those dear brothers and sisters in Christ and you can't eat with them? Because of your dietary preference. I think Paul would say, don't ask. Everything is sanctified by the means of prayer in the word of God with thanksgiving. Just say, thank you, Jesus, and pray over it and ask God to keep you from getting sick. And then the third application, somebody asks you into their home. And they set the meal before you, and just before you eat, they go, by the way, it's not kosher. So what should you do? Well, if you were Paul, you could say, I don't have a conscience about eating something that's not kosher. I know I'm free to do this. But because of him, not because of my conscience, but because of him. Because, see, sometimes he's talking about unbelievers. Sometimes unbelievers expect things of us that they have no legitimate reason to expect. But they still expect it. And if we were to violate their expectations, it would hinder them from receiving the gospel. Their expectations are wrong. They might expect that I cannot eat pork, so I shouldn't eat pork. Share Christ with them. Let them come to Jesus, and then tell them, by the way, I can eat pork. But don't violate their conscience, and by doing that, create an offense that's going to become a barrier for them receiving Christ. 
Because that's what Paul says. He says, he says if, verse 28, if, one, if anyone should say to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you. Not for your sake, for the sake of the one who informed you. You know you can eat it. You're the stronger brother. But they don't think you should be eating it. So don't eat it. And for conscience sake. I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? Well, it is. Shouldn't be, but it is. And I can, I, again, the crucified life says, I will die to myself. And I will seek to edify him. Even when his conscience is wrong, I'd rather not eat meat than offend him and, be, and present a barrier to him coming to faith in Christ. Why am I slandered if I eat with thankfulness? But we are. Still, the reality is you can be slandered for just living the life that God has given you to live. That's a fact of life. So what do you do? Verse 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, this is the crucified life. Don't do it because it's your freedom. Because it's your right, because it's your liberty, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things. Not seeking my own profit. Again, the crucified life. Jesus came because he loved us and he gave himself for us. And if I love somebody, I want to please them. It's not always wrong to want to please people. If you love them, you want to please them. I also please all men, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, that they may be saved. Not so that I could be liked, but that they could be saved. There are so many, so many New Testament passages that speak about living a clean, undefiled life and speak to those first, four, those first verses 14 to 22 about not partaking of the demonic. I could have read you an extended section from 2 Corinthians, basically all of 1 and 2 Peter. I mean, that, 1 and 2 Peter, if they're about anything, it's about living a holy, pure undefiled life. Paul will say that we not, he says, I, he will say in another place, I'm concerned that as the, as the serpent deceived Eve, that you too should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. What he's saying here about participating in the demonic would fit that. Nothing should be given the power to lead us away from that simple and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. And food, it's just food. Idols, they're just idols, but food is a different category because it has been created by God and we have been made one. Some people are going to have moral issues over dietary things. We'll respect that. Don't unnecessarily give offense. Other times, it's we that has the issue. 
We're the ones that have the problem because it's just not our preference. And Paul would say, do that which edifies. Don't just be thinking about yourself. It's about the body of Christ and living a life where Jesus is honored. It's a crucified life. It's not about us. We want to live in such a way that as many as possible can be saved and that no one is unnecessarily made to take offense. I'll close us in prayer. God, I do thank you for your, your wisdom and your grace and your mercy toward us. We were absolutely committed to self, Lord. We were your enemies with no thought other than just our own selfish desires and needs, living for the lust of the flesh. And yet you still gave your son for us. You loved us and you gave him to us. And he, in absolute selflessness, surrendered to your will and came to us and permitted himself to be crucified at the hands of those who hated him. And then we would think that life is about us. God, we pray that you would just keep us as a body, individually and corporately, from that self-centered, demonic, satanic spirit. But that we would embrace, by faith, our co-crucifixion with Jesus. And that in living in Christ, that we would be the partaker, partakers, God, of, of his death, that we might also partake of his resurrection. That we would deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. And we would consider it our master ambition to know the fellowship of his sufferings and also the power of his resurrection to lay hold of the one who has laid hold of us. There's every moment of every day, God, it seems there is the opportunity to die to self and to allow you to express yourself through us as we die. And I do pray, Father, that in all that we do, in all that we eat, in all that we drink, and in everything else, that Jesus, the crucified one, would be glorified in us. In Christ's name, amen.